Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, and for all of those looking for more of an Australian flavour, good day, mate. Welcome to another episode of Two Developers Down Under. This is uh, another time early in the morning that I'm awake, but I'm also joined here by the pungently perfect partner in crime that I have today, Kai Koenig. How are you doing today, Kai? I'm doing fine, Mark. Pungently perfect. That's interesting. I'm- yeah, I started to run out of alliteration, so I just stopped. <laughs> cool. So you're doing well? Six o'clock in the morning? Yeah, quarter past six. Not too bad. Got to get up early, do this, and then take the dog for a walk. And yeah, it's not a bad way to start the morning. Okay, fair enough. See if I can switch my brain into gear. <laughs> so, do we want to start with the? thing of the day yes always a good way to start what have you got going on um i've got a few things i found actually today is a rather negative day when it comes to things happening in the past um i've got one thing that is sort of neutral um in 1653 oliver cromwell dissolved the rump parliament if you have no idea what that is, no, I have no idea what that, what is. that is about. It's basically the English Civil War and the Maria Stuart monarchy, and he was one of the major revolutions revolutionaries um, in that age, basically. Okay, I've and got uh, pasteurization was invented today, 150th anniversary actually. Ooh, okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I've got um, Apollo 16 in 1972 ah, lands on the moon. Yep. And in 1978, um, Korean Air Flight 902 was shot down by the Soviet Union. And the reason why I mention that is because I'm really interested in aviation, as most people know probably by now. <laughs> and there's a big, big, big conspiracy theory and conspiracy th- story around that flight. And books have been published about that. And it's, it's a really, really interesting and sad story how that, how that happened in the end. Okay, I've got uh, radium was first isolated today, 110th anniversary. Wow, that's a good one. That's a good one. Birth of Napoleon III, uh, 204th anniversary. And uh, for those who are familiar with Australian history, uh, Captain Cook reaches the Eastern Australia today, uh, 242nd anniversary. Australia has a history? Uh, Yeah, apparently. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it's not just convicts are here and that's about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I always thought that actually. Oh. Yeah. Oh, French Revolutionary War begins today, 220th anniversary. Yeah, I have one final one as well. In 1998, the German Red Army faction announced their dissolution. And that's okay. interesting and important because it was the you know only German terrorism group in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And, you know, we kids basically grew up with that. It was like left-wing, lefty terrorism. And, you know, their photos were on every police station and on posters and everything, basically. So that was an interesting time back then. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay, so we've got uh, what an interesting thing to talk about today. Yeah. How do we start without actually I'll set the scene. shocking I'll set the people? Scene. I've, got, I've got an idea. I've got, I'll set the scene. So it, um, it all started with, I guess, a hypothetical scenario, which is, which in a short sentence is, what if, what, what do you, what if Cold Fusion died tomorrow? So 
And before everyone well, is like totally shocked now, no, <laughs> we, we do not know anything special. And we no. don't have any insider knowledge that we're trying to convey, you know, without breaking any NDA or something like that. It's a really pure hypothetical Thetical. scenario. Yeah, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll reiterate it as well. I think actually, even if any of these sort of situations occurred, I don't think CF could die because people are using it and it would continue on going on and, and all that various stuff. Um, popularity would obviously wax and wane and that would definitely have an effect. But, yeah, certainly it would. Um, but basically, I'm, I'm, this is something, again, we, we've sort of touched on this in, in previous podcasts and stuff, but something that uh, since about the beginning of this year, I know I've been thinking about a lot. I think you and I have had discussions around this and I've had it with a few other people as well. But hypothetical scenario goes something along these sort of lines. Um, Adobe decides to that they're they're end of life in cold fusion. They're not open sourcing it. That's it. It's done. They're finished. Whatever. Um, Micah, Denny, Gert, and Mark Drew, all the Rilo crew, they're all on a plane together. It goes down in the sea. Goes bye bye. Um, so all the people behind that all disappear, and uh, no one can find the bodies to anyone at uh, OpenBD. All they find is uh, blood-smeared walls, and they've all disappeared, maybe an Indian burial ground or a poltergeist or something like that. So for all intents and purposes, everyone who was behind CF has essentially disappeared, been removed, or possibly died in what could have been a horror movie-type uh, scenario. So given that sort of situation... What happens? What do you do? Um, and that comes at it from the perspective of what do you do as, as obviously if, if, you, if you really strongly identify with the term Cold Fusion developer and also what do you do with your existing applications and the organization you're currently in. Yeah, and the other assumption we, we make in this hypothetical scenario yeah. is that we want to look into options for backend coding and not yeah. just say, oh, you know, I become a... Flex developer again, or I do visualbasic.net from now on, or something like that. Oh, visualbasic.net is always an option, but I mean, I think more you could move to like a front end, like a JS and a CSS sort of role, or something like that, like sort of switching gears slightly, yeah. um, which is obviously an option in those sort of scenarios, but sort of looking at it more in terms of okay, I've been doing back end CF and, and, and server side CF. Obviously, I'm going to have to replace that skill with something else, so or or look at different options there, and, and so that's, that's sort of yeah, that's sort of the situation we're looking at. So it's a it's an interesting hypothetical because it really forces you to um, to kind of go into that. So okay, why also are we talking about this? Um, and and I've been talking to a few people about this again, and sort of I think I think basically the reasons come down to. One day, Adobe could drop CF. I mean, it's perfectly plausible. Um, in fact, um, Ben Ford has actually quite clearly said, you know, it's a commercial product. If it ever stops making money, then that's what will end up happening. You know, very much what happened with, with Flex. Um, now, not oh, to say that it I, I will think happen. Flex, Flex is a different story, right? Because yeah. Flex basically wasn't really driven by the decision that Flex doesn't make enough money. You know, yeah. the, the move of Flex becoming open source is more like a strategical direction change, I think. Um, that is true. That you is know, true. What, whatever, whatever you would think of that. But that's yeah. that's really the reason behind that, basically. Yeah. Uh, whereas, I, I remember that blog post from Ben, actually, where it was in the, in the comments or in the, you know, discussion thread of that yes. blog post, where people said, oh, are we going to see ColdFusion 11 and ColdFusion 12, blah, blah, blah. And basically... He said, "Yeah, it's a like you said, it's a commercial product. Um, it has to make money to be developed and to be continued, and that's exactly the reality of commercial software commercial development. Products. Exactly. Really. Um, 
uh, uh, look, and, and that's not to say necessarily it's going to get dropped. Um, you know, unless Adobe takes another more severe shift towards you know HTML5 or something like that, which again possible. Who knows? I mean, we can't we can't determine what they're going to do. Um, I also turn around and say like you really should have an exit strategy. Like even if just at the very least thought about it and said, okay, what do I do? You know, we can't we can't make this assumption that certain technologies are going to be around forever. I mean, we've all been in IT long enough, or I assume most of us, all our listeners have been in IT long enough, even if you've only been in it for three weeks, to know that the sand shifts. And yep. now you should be looking at other options out there because things change and you should be able to adapt with it. Um, and while necessarily, yeah, it would suck because you have to learn a whole new skill, it should be, you know, it should be something that you sort of plan for to a degree. You, you could even argue that you shouldn't, never put yourself into a situation where you can just do exactly one language or one yeah. technology. Yeah. It's a bit like, you know, you're a, I don't know, tradie, a handyman or something like that and the only tool you can use is a hammer. You know, it's like, yeah. nah, your, your, your use is sort of limited, you know. Yeah, I'm coming to help you with some demolition work but all I have is a hammer. Like, it's yeah. pretty good but it'd be really good if I had a sledgehammer. No, just a regular hammer for me. So I mean that's a very you know very com very com very likewise scenario basically you should diversify your skill set anyway really yeah and 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 this sort of moves into the next point which I've got written in our notes is 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 Call Fusion developers quote unquote which I'm I'm becoming less and less I like as a term anyway and and thinking more of more of just being a programmer or a software developer or something a bit more generic um, and, and this definitely goes for myself especially um, get kind of stuck in the CFML bubble. We definitely do. And, and I, I think I've mentioned this before as well. You know, I know, I know on a personal note up until the beginning of the year, like I sort of, I thought in my head, I was like, I'm doing some Java stuff. You know, I've kind of looked at Groovy a little bit, but mostly at the end of the day, what I was doing was CF and Java. And I wasn't really stepping outside of that really at all. And it was only until I sort of put myself in this sort of scenario and really looked at, you know, hey, wh what's out there? Like, what, what would I actually do? You know, let me learn some languages that I actually need to know. Um, that I started going, oh, now I'm like properly looking outside of Cold Fusion and saying, okay, first of all, it's very good because, you know, finding some really compelling solutions to do certain things out there and solutions that definitely are a better fit for certain certain things than, uh, than Cold Fusion is for certain scenarios. You know, not having just a hammer and hanging around just... And looking for nails, you mm -hmm. know, um, and also taking stuff outside of CFML and going, ah, oh, this is really cool, and then bringing it back in. Um, classic example of that is actually the the Sesame project I started, which is a, a project around building helper functions for closures. A lot mm -hmm. of that is straight ripped off from what I found in Groovy. So, what did you call it, Sesame? Uh, <laughs> a guy by the name of, I, I put it, as per usual, because I'm lazy a lot of the times these days, I, I put a comment out on, on Twitter saying that I was doing something with closures and I need, I needed a, uh, I needed a, whatchamacallit, I needed a name for the project. And Ben Koshy actually came back and he said, call it Sesame, as in open Sesame. So ah. closures, closing, closing, open, open Sesame. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, we can talk about all that sort of stuff as well at a later time, but uh, yeah, so I thought it was a very clever name. 
Um, so, yeah, there's definitely really good reasons for actually sort of really strongly looking at, at this scenario and saying, okay, what would happen? What would happen? What would I do? And then sort of set yourself up in that place to kind of go, okay, let's let's look around and let's let's actually make some decisions, you know, I mean, maybe loosely held decisions, um, but sort of some ideas on what, what would you end up doing. Yeah. So, I mean, what realistically... What are the options and what are the scenarios we are looking at, right? So because it might be a totally different story for someone who's employed with a large company or large yep. corporation compared to rather the consulting type people like us, yep. you know, where we work with different clients, make recommendations, and then the client goes with that recommendation or doesn't. Basically, yeah. Well, I suppose it depends also which which Confusion platform you're on to begin with as well. Yeah. Um, if you're on Adobe CF, okay, first of all, you could stay just running your applications on your current platform. Yeah, you could. Um, if you're on Adobe Cold Fusion, the biggest issue I think you'd have there is that you don't have security updates. And since you don't have access to the code, you kind of get screwed that way. Yes, um, the tricky, well, it, it depends. Because you will, even if Cold Fusion was EOL'd yep. today or next week or whatever, you yep. would get certainly uh, support and security updates until it runs out of the official support oh, this, period. It's got a, that is true. You do have the official support. So you have like you know another two years where you get supplied with that stuff, and then if you have extended support, you have another two years roughly after that. That so is true. You know you get updates on that end, but at some point it will reach a scenario where that's finished as well, like, you know, Windows Vista, yeah. for example, or Windows XP, you know, that type of age of Actually, a you, just to sidetrack just a bit, I think you might know a bit about this. You, what's the deal with, with buying CF support? How does that that works? Because that almost sounds like even a, even a good reason to get, a, like, the actual official support for CF. Or are you just talking about the general support? that that? But I was thinking there's, there's actually, like, paid support that people can get for a couple of years isn't that true yeah it is actually um i couldn't tell you what the pricing model is nowadays the last time i used that and looked into that was like 2006 or something oh, yeah. um and that was in the transition period when cold fusion came from macromedia to adobe and it yeah. worked, at, at that time it worked in a way that either you could you know lodge a support call like a, a single incident and you pay for that by credit card pretty much and if, you know, if they find that it's a bug, you get that money back. And if it's not a bug, yeah. basically, then, um, you know, they might produce a hotfix for you or something like that. Or, But, you know, you have to basically pay for, for the support incident. Or yeah. you subscribe to a support plan. And, you know, again, back at the time, I think they had like silver, gold, platinum plans, stuff like that. Um, and different pricing levels. And then you get access to... Uh, second and third level support and with certain reaction times so you know yep. you have an issue you lock your support call and they have to get back to you within whatever four hours something like that in the yep. highest level of support and I think that is and again don't quote me on that I think that's what's meant with the extended support yep. so I think basically how it works if you go to that support overview table from Adobe where they list all their products with the end of life and end of support dates that normal support is general support 
like for everyone, you know, they will stop producing hotfixes and security updates on that date. And the extended support means if you are a paid support customer or subscriber, then they will support you a bit further down the track. Fair enough. Okay. To dig- slightly digress. Okay, so so even if you you stuck with Adobe CF even for a couple of years, and it looks like you'd have you'd have support. So security is a little less of a concern. But obviously, outside of that, you'd need to be doing something. Yeah, and you know it could be a tricky scenario because the world obviously continues to rotate. You know, it doesn't stop because you can't upgrade ColdFusion to a potential ColdFusion whatever thirteen or something yep. anymore. So it might become interesting when it's all about new and emerging technologies and how to integrate those into your app if you are stuck on an, on a version of ColdFusion which is like yep. six years old at some point, for example, right? So that could be tricky. Um, obviously then, okay, so if, if, if you're on Rilo or OpenBD, so an open source, an open source platform, because it's open, you can get in there and hack at it. But I guess the question then would be because, because the team isn't around anymore in this assumption, mm-hmm. um, would you think that other people would necessarily step up to do that? Or would there be enough of a demand? I mean, so I guess... That is very interesting. And, you know, yeah. I don't know. I, I thought about that question quite a while. Um, and I have to say, I don't know. I think some people would just because there'd be business out there that have legacy systems on CF. They're, literally, they probably can't move. Like they might be like just big enough. So it just becomes cost effective for them to say, you know what, we're going to hire some Java programmers and we're going to throw them at Rilo or OpenBD, depending on what their, what or their desires are. Or build our own CFML. I don't know why you'd probably build your own unless you had serious issues with Rilo um, yeah, or OpenBD. Um, but yeah, that that's that's sort of where I could see people going. Um, though, though I would, my 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 theory is as well. I think, um, and, and this isn't this isn't to put down or any shape or form. Um, say rather, we're open BD. But if your if your exit strategy or particularly if your application, unless so for you, more for your application is very much, oh, we could just switch to Rilo. Um, I would actually say give it a shot. Because they are they are slightly different beasts, um, which is something I've sort of come come to terms with. Because we we tried to do a switch over at one point um, just to see if it was possible, and um, we ended up having issues. And I think that's got a lot to do with that sort of code and the amount of Java integration we've got and various other bits and pieces. Because I've heard of people switching over and it was fine. Um, I was going to say actually, I think you're probably doing stuff which is more it's advanced quite possible. and integrated and complex than a lot of other people do that's that's yeah. one thing um and the other thing i think no one should really expect exactly to take an existing you know web point. app that people have built yeah. over years and plug it onto a different platform and cool. it runs completely you know 100 yeah. percent correct out of the box that's not realistic you know you will have to put some work in whenever you move Whenever yeah. you move or migrate your platform, doesn't matter if it's, you know, from Adobe Cold Fusion to Rilo or the other way around or to OpenBD or the yeah. other way around, whatever. It's you know, it's don't assume you yeah, just plug just it, make you put a different yeah. different engine below it and it will run actually. Because there was, so you I have mean, to put some work yeah. in. 
Yeah, because I mean, there were things that it was like, you know, I sort of went, oh yeah, that'll break, that'll break, that'll break. I can fix those, no worries. And then as you got into it, you were like, oh, oh yeah, we use that. Oh, and we use that. Oh, that's not going to work. Ooh, that's going to be a problem. You know, it's the things you don't remember. It's the things you wrote yeah. three years ago. It's all that sort of stuff as well. And 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 yeah, so so less of an issue if you if you built it on top of Rilo. Um, Obviously, if you build on top of Rilo, not a problem for you. You're on Rilo or you're on OpenBD. You know, you built it on something like that. That's sort of built into your application. But if you're on Adobe or ACF um, and you, that's your that's your sort of fallback strategy, try it out one day and see what the hell happens and see what, what goes on because it, you may be pleasantly surprised, but you may also be unhappily surprised. Um, and you should have that sort of in your plan and budget it in um, so that you've, you've got a migration strategy that way. Yeah, I, I would think so too, actually. And I'm pretty sure if you if you were to do it, um, you'll find out quite quickly after a day or two or something which yeah. direction you know it's heading towards. If it's going to be an easy one, or if it's for whatever reason yeah. going to be a, a more difficult one. But then, to be fair, you know, like the Rilo guys are really helpful from what yeah. I from what my experience is basically, yeah. and they have a quite fast turnaround on fixing bugs if yeah. they so, can, you know. So in in this assumption, if you could get enough people, you know, to, to work on the platform and you had, say, a couple of years to to write out the security stuff for the AOL for, for Adobe, in theory, you I mean you could get the platform to where you needed to go. Um, my personal opinion would probably be more along the lines of the issue would be around popularity. I think if Adobe dropped CF a lot of people would end up dispersing off. I think CF would probably still stay alive. I think there'd still be a community around it, particularly around Milo and OpenBD, obviously. But I think uh, hireability would become even more of an issue than it is now. I think you'd find, and a lot of people would end up just moving to other platforms. I think there'd be a lot of IT managers would be just going, aha, I told you so, and let's stick the knife in. Um, and there'd probably be a certain attrition rate from people going, well, I'm just not going to do Call Fusion anymore as well. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, You'll probably find that there's some sort of a hardcore group of people in the CFML or Confusion community who would stick around. Oh, and I, I, could, I agree I with could that. even see, you know, I could see a lot of people we know who would jump on, you know, contributing to one of the open source projects and trying to get that going, which is quite yep. sad when you look at, when you, when you think about it, actually, because, you know, nothing should stop them from doing that right now, really. That's true. And I would love to see, you know, see projects like Rilo and OpenBD, uh, OpenBD getting more contributions from from the general CFML community, really, and not being, you know, reasonably closely tied to the original inventors of the Well, of yeah, the I mean, that is, that is sort of an interesting thing in and of itself. I mean, that's one thing that makes me wonder whether people will end up stepping up to, to work on OpenBD or, or Rilo. I mean... If you if you look at the commit log for for Rilo as it currently stands, it's mostly the Rilo team and mostly Micro really. <laughs> um, so if they're not there now, why aren't they there? Yeah, um, what what I mean, what would it take to get people more involved with contributing yeah. to OpenBD and Rilo? That's an interesting question actually, and I'm I wonder if it's is it because the CFML community is traditionally not really an open source community or is it because, you know, people are too lazy and just go with, you know, ACF because they can and, yeah. you know, money is not a problem or is it because, um, 
the interested people have already moved on to other stuff where they can maybe easier contribute or, you know, like even before Rylo became open source, for example. I don't know. I never actually looked at the OpenVD commit list. Yeah, me neither. It's um, a bit out of my radar, really. Yeah, I will, I will admit to that being myself too. I probably should be a, a little bit more up to date with what it's doing, but uh, I can't find it actually. I don't know where they host their source. So, oh, yeah, SVN repository. So, eh, interesting. Okay. All right. So I can't see any details on it. So, anyway, so that, that's a whole other conversation in and of itself. Yeah, it is. Okay. But I mean, clearly, you know, if. Um, to to bring us back on track, basically, if yeah. Adobe CF was EOL'd and OpenBD and Rylo, you know, the people behind that wouldn't be available for whatever reason, it yeah. is a theoretical option that people could would grab the open source and run with it, basically, and try to, you know, continue yeah. with it or move this I mean, stuff even, to an open source if, platform. If Adobe EOL's called Fusion and Rylo and OpenBD, people are still around. I think there could there could be definitely some uptake in. Um, Indie engineers and, and people putting in more more effort from outside. Yeah. In fact, I could I, in that scenario, I could see companies kind of coming on board with that because they want more support and they want more engineering effort to go into it. You know, for the features they want and being able to fix the bugs they have and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's a typical scenario for open source projects, right? I mean, mm. commercial entities do sponsor development basically, or yeah. you know, help sponsor development. So. Um, no, that's that's very interesting as well. Okay, so maybe you've you've decided. Okay, that's great. What would, all right, what would make you decide that you're going to move to another language? So you're going to port the application or something like that. I think that's an that's, yeah. a, that's an interesting one. Um, it is an interesting one, and it certainly depends on what your application is. That's the first thing yeah. from my point of view. That and is true. Also, I mean, if you've got a legacy internal sort of application, you probably wouldn't port it. I mean, that just seems silly. Yeah, it depends. I mean, it de- also true. it depends on you know developer availability at some point. Let's say you know yeah. CFML developers move to other platforms. It gets even harder to find good resources. So yep, you know that. that's there are some scenarios in which I could see internal apps being ported as well. I suppose if you've got those legacy apps that aren't really changing and they're always staying the same and. You know, they're getting updated every six months, maybe. You know, you probably wouldn't, you know, if they're just plodding along doing their thing, you probably wouldn't touch them. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. I mean, the other thing what people might do in that case is um, just move them or, you know, port them to their whatever favorite in house platform, you know, maybe .NET or just a Java it's solution. A lot of, or it's a lot of work, a lot of money. It is. It's something that doesn't change very often. Yeah, if it doesn't change very often, you're probably right. Especially if it's eternal, you know, you're not yeah. you're not really hit with those security issues very much, so you could still run it. Yeah, that's a fair point, actually. Um, but what's the story about public stuff? Yeah, see, that's that's where it'd be. I'd be I'd be almost saying, let's move it, and it's going to suck, but let's do it, or, or at least slowly. So. It raises a few good points, right? So why would you say let's move it if there is an OpenBD and a Rylo around? I think, honestly, I think my answer to that question would be developer availability. Okay. 
more than Fair anything enough. else. And the, and and again, this depends on your scenario. I mean, like like you said, we're we're consultants. I mean, I I, I consult with a small team, and um, it, it'd be a case of you know we're, we're running a very small shop, but we like to push things out to other people if we can. You know, when we need to sort of get that that extra burst of bandwidth, mm-hmm. and being able to find. You know, if if I'm writing in Java or Ruby or whatever, being able to find another consulting team to say, "Hey, yeah, we can take on this little project and, and kick it through for you," is going to be a hell of a lot easier if we're writing in a different language than if we're writing CFML, especially if Adobe's dropped it. Yeah, fair point. Um, that's and, and again, that's my scenario. Um, so I think I think the way I'd end up I'd end up doing it in its sort of if you want to move it would be a piecemeal approach it would sort of be like let's find a way to integrate let's find a way of taking sections and and hopefully either re-implementing them with new features or re-implementing them better or something like that um it's like you would take stuff that you need to touch anyway yeah and then instead of you know redoing it in cfml redo yeah. it in another technology and find the integration hooks basically and define those. Yeah sort of okay. to let it sort of migrate across very much how you know you take a legacy application and refactor it bit by bit so that you can it becomes better and better and better I'd sort of attack it that sort of that's the way I'd attack it mm-hmm. rather than sitting down for eight months rewriting it all and watching all your money disappear yeah and I mean that's a very sensible approach from from um, from an economic point of view as well obviously yeah. because you want to keep the app going you want to whatever your app does you want to keep the revenue stream going and then yep. you know deliver new features maybe on a new platform when you get to because otherwise, I mean, it's it just becomes so easy that <clears throat> you know you're doing this stuff on the side, and the current platform, you know, they're like, well, the business is like, well, we need this new feature, and we need this new feature, and so the, the target just keeps moving, and they end up chasing each other, and it just becomes a money hemorrhage, yeah. um, which is no fun for anybody, because um, then the guys running the new platform have, you know, or the people, I should say, to be more gender, gender neutral and politically correct. Um, People who are writing the new platform, their target keeps moving, which is no fun. Yep. <laughs> and the, the business is paying for both of the, the development at the same time, um, which is no fun either. So, yeah, it becomes a fun game. So, yeah, I can see reasons for both. You know, there might be scenarios where you actually would stay with CFML, and there are scenarios where you would rewrite it, I guess. Yep. Um, the question is then what would you rewrite it in? And there is obviously uh, a huge range of technologies we could yep. have a look at, you know. And and there's so many different um, things to look at. All right, so let's, let's, let's come at it this way because I think this would be most fun if nothing else. If you weren't writing CF, what language would you write, like to write the most? Take just simply like get like, reaction, what do you we like? We still talk about backend coding, nothing else, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like web-based backend coding. Yeah. Um, like my default like, fallback would be Java, traditional Java. Just straight Java? Yeah. Really? Okay, that's interesting. So statically type language. Oh well, that's the you know that's the easiest to to use at the moment because that's what I'm most familiar with. You know, so besides you would, CFML. You wouldn't go to a dynamic, uh, a dynamic sort of uh, Java-based language. Oh no, no, I, don't get me wrong. I would, but for, uh, I mean, okay. for example, Groovy, right? Yes. Typical scenario. Um, that's probably where I would end up, you know, in that direction in the midterm and long term. But if let's say CFML died today, and mm. I needed something to do to code in tomorrow, my def- thats what I'm saying. My default fallback would be oh, okay. Java, that's, that's and then at the side, with. basically, you know, getting more into the d- dynamic elements like Groovy, for example. 
Okay, okay, that makes sense. That and, makes sense. you know, for certain types of applications, I would probably um, use Clojure. Um, yep. Because I'm, yeah, I got into it a bit over the last few months, basically, and I feel familiar enough to build some basic applications with it now, at least. And that's a very interesting language. I'm not, I'm not quite sure if I would use it for everything and anything, but oh, for, for sorry, for, for everything, and uh, <laughs> and um, but you know there are lots of use cases where a functional language and a Lisp-like language like Clojure makes sense. Yeah, no, I've been been looking, and uh, we've got an upcoming podcast where we go deeper into into closure specifically, actually, in functional programming. But uh, yeah, I, I've definitely been looking at it too, which is funny. I've just been scratching the surface a little bit, but for especially stuff that's multi-threaded, or you want to be distributed computing, or doing like big number computing, things like that, yeah, closure exactly. functional programming is definitely a huge fit. Um, I've definitely been looking at that for doing some stuff as well. Um, some stuff that we've actually got written in CFML at the moment, which runs okay, but as we want to sort of get into Bigger, bigger algorithmic computations, which is sort of the stuff we're doing, um, then, uh, then, then, yeah, something like that seems like a really, a really good fit. Yeah. And that, that also comes back to you know, like once you start looking outside, you start finding some, I think, better tools. Because um, when you start looking at that space, you start looking at, you know, you look at Clojure, you start looking at Acker and Scala, things yeah. like that for doing distributed compute computation. You start looking at Hadoop. Um, whether you're going to do that on um, Hadoop platform for for distributed MapReduce, which is a Java implementation, um, so there's there's yeah you start seeing some very interesting tools out there for that sort of thing. Now I can't say right. for certain that a lot of people are doing that sort of computation, but it's if you are, those sort of tools could be very useful. So yeah, I mean as long as you as soon as you have like a good amount of data that you need to look into and make decisions on, mm. you know, you, you're right in that space already, basically. Yeah. Um, another thing I would probably look at if um, I had to make that, you know, that cut tomorrow would be server-side JavaScript, like Node. See, that's an interesting one too. I, I, I can't really say much about it yet because I haven't really had a deep look into it. Yeah. The, the thing is, the... The language concepts of JavaScript are quite nice, I found. You know, a lot of people complain about it that because saying that it's like totally loose and unstructured and, you know, all the, the disadvantages of being a dynamically type or untyped language pretty much. Yeah. You know, but it has some pros That's... as well, obviously, right? It's quite flexible in, in what you can do with it. Um, I'm not quite sure if the whole architectural model of Node with that event loop, basically, so, yeah, is really something I like. But, I mean, like I said, I haven't really had a you know close enough look into it yet. That's true. There's something about Node that um, that uh, there's so much hype that makes me want to go, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's 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 there's definitely a lot of people who have drunk the Kool Aid, and oh, because totally, there are a lot yeah. of people who are like, oh my god, it's, it's you know, it's web scale and all this sort of stuff, where where that's sort of half a joke, but you know, half true. Um, but look at other of, platforms like Rails. You know, Rails is quite overhyped as well, or you know, it that, used to be. I don't know. It used to be. Over. I don't think it is. I don't yeah. think it is anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. When Rails came out, it was sort of Rails was the best thing since sliced bread. Um, where I think where I think Node Node has its position, obviously I think obviously the, the whole um, high message message bus or high speed message bus, so like lots and lots of little messages going out all over the place. Mm -hmm. I think I can definitely see Node fitting that model really really well. 
which is why I particularly think we're seeing things like Derby and Meteor come out on Node, which is sort of the frameworks for having to do very little work to have real-time updating happening and client-side code is the same as server-side code. And so you can basically write it either on the client or the server. It does exactly the same thing, you know, things like that. That stuff is really, really promising if it, you know, ever comes out of alpha and they can work out all the kings. I have a question Um, on that, actually. On On that concept of having the same language server side and client side, right? Yeah. Because that's one of, I mean, that's conceptually a quite interesting interesting yeah. topic itself, right? And Node delivers sort of a solution for that, right? When you look at what Adobe has or had with ActionScript, you know, Flex, Flash in the front end and um, ColdFusion or ACF on the back end, basically. Yeah. It's a shame that they haven't delivered some sort of a you know action script on the backend solution besides you know yeah. the action script one server side action script that they had in called Fusion six or seven or something like that, which wasn't really you know any any good and any useful to be honest. But is it is it something people really want or do we just think we want that because client side coding and server side coding is significantly different in how you architect things. I find um, doing both well, of it, right? And I sometimes wonder is what I sometimes wonder is 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 it actually good to use the same language for both necessarily? Can be. Um, I think there's actually two parts to this question, particularly when you start talking about things like Derby and and Meteor. Um, one is okay. First of all, same language front and back. Um, I think that can be useful because obviously there's code reuse. Which, which is inevitably going to occur because you have the same utilities, you have the same libraries, yep, fair uh, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's actually quite cool. I mean, I'd actually, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but I've definitely said to a whole bunch of people, um, I think it's one thing that Microsoft, while their platform didn't really take off, has always done really, really well in that it's C-sharp everywhere, whether you're running Silverlight, whether you're writing backend yep. processes, whether you're writing, I think even plugins for Visual Studio and all, like whatever, or like even, whatever it is in, you're in doing. In SQL Server, you can write C-sharp code, C-sharp, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's everywhere, that's it. And I just thought to myself, well, I think Adobe should do that, you know. It should be backend action script, you know, front-end flex action script if you're writing plugins for for uh, Photoshop or Illustrator, it's all ActionScript. Like the whole Adobe ecosystem is all ActionScript because all you have to do it then is you're like, I know ActionScript, I can do whatever I want. All I got to do now is learn the hooks and I'm on my way. I think that would have been really, really powerful. Um, but it looks like they're not going that route anyway at this point in time. They're, you know, they're all in the HTML5 bandwagon, which is yep. fair enough. Um, but the thing is with Meteor and Derby, which is really cool, is you have these client-side APIs. And the actual, in, in the case of Meteor, you can essentially call MongoDB commands from the client and that fires to the server without you having to do any extra work. Okay. So there's a whole library there. Where it doesn't matter whether you're writing it server-side or whether the code's writing, writing client-side. You don't have to write your endpoints. You don't have to write your, your you know, you don't have to expose remote services. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You just write your client code like you were talking to the server and it just works. Mm-hmm. Derby has very similar things in it as well. I think that's an incredibly powerful paradigm because you don't have to worry about that to and fro. Uh, setting up services, setting up stuff that does particular things. You're like, no, I'm in the client. I don't care. I'm just going to write my code like I would in the server. And that's when you get real code reuse because then it doesn't matter. You know, It doesn't matter where it gets executed. It just works. Now, obviously, those two projects are very much an alpha, but if that's the way sort of um, application development's going, which I wouldn't be shocked, that's some pretty compelling stuff. Because then it's like, well, I can write my app either on the client side or on the server side. Um, everything's going to sync up on the screen automatically. 
because that's mm-hmm. just the way the framework works, which is very compelling. Um, without, and I don't have to worry about where I place my code or writing endpoints or anything like that. I just change my data and everything updates for me, and that's that's pretty that's pretty awesome. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Good point. Um, but that stuff is it's so alpha. I don't know. I I node. Something about Node just makes me really wary of it, um, but I know some people who really enjoy it too. So the fact that it implements its own like web browser, like you, well, not web browser, web server, like you basically have to run. A, I mean, essentially, Node is is just a is just a platform, and if you want to write web apps on top of it, you need to have the code web to interact. Yeah, exactly. yeah, web, yeah. You have to have the code to interact with the web server and all that sort of stuff. So uh, with the web browser, so you actually have to server and set that all up, which is why there's a lot of frameworks that do that for you, like Express and things like that. Um, but uh, but no, it's got some it's got some compelling arguments for it in certain scenarios for sure, um, and it's definitely a hot sort of topic now. Um, though I question, I question hireability on it, um, just because yeah. it's a hard one to judge. A lot of people can write JavaScript, but it's a question of how well can you write JavaScript, and if you can write good JavaScript, can you write Node? Because I think it's a, a specific skill into itself. So yeah, you can't just say everyone can write JavaScript, therefore everyone can write Node. I think that's a bit of a misnomer. Yeah, and that would be that would end up really bad. Basically, you will get a lot of really badly done applications. Realistically, I mean, when people say they write JavaScript, a lot of them mean that they write like a four line jQuery statement yeah. to you know make something go yeah. red or blue or blink or whatever. I do that. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to deny it. I do that. You know, I, I wouldn't call myself a crazy. JavaScript programmer. No, and, and that's um, fair. You know, that is obviously JavaScript development, but it's yep. you know not JavaScript on a level where I would say you actually write real apps here. You know, with like yeah. a proper architecture and with you know plugins to jQuery yeah. or backend or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. well, you make your page a bit more interactive, and that's fair enough. You know, that's JavaScript yeah. as well. Okay, so swing it, swing it back around to the question I asked you previously: was what would your what would your gut be? Where would you go? Um, so that you you'd start with Java and you'd probably maybe move to something more dynamic as as you got more comfortable with it. Yep. But you'd probably do some closures as that, um, yeah, which is kind of interesting because yeah, I think I think I'm comfortable enough in Groovy these days now, having having a look at it, um, that I could build a basic app in it quite quite comfortably. So that's probably see this is an interesting one. I'd probably go to Groovy because I really like the language, mm-hmm. but I do have looking at it. Um, I do have a worry about its momentum and its growth. Um, so why is it, that actually? Because Groovy just, is some sort of it was pushed as the you know dynamic, hip, modern. Well, that's Java when it sort of came out, really. right? If you if there has been some articles, ah, I need to find it. There was an article out recently about like the top ten scripting languages to watch, mm-hmm. uh, and I've seen other things as well. I'm going to see if I can find it while we're talking. Um, we, we found a few links, or we have we collected a few links about the popularity of languages, right? Yeah. And when I look at those, for example, the GitHub top ten languages, for example, I mean Groovy is not in on there. The top language. Well, on the, GitHub the, that's is a that's a well, that's a tough one, right? Because a lot of Groovy yeah, projects it's, are written in straight it, Java, um, and 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 they just they just use the APIs, which makes a lot of sense as well. So that's a very hard one to. Yeah, and I would I would argue GitHub, the GitHub top languages are skewed anyway because certain people and certain communities use GitHub more than others. 
I think GitHub's becoming fairly ubiquitous, I'd say. But uh, yeah, you could maybe argue that. But no, I, I totally hear that as well. Um, I wish I could find this article, but it just it looks like it looks like while Groovy definitely has a community around it, um, it doesn't seem to be as big as some other ones, and it doesn't seem to be exploding. It's not. It's no longer a hot new language. Like it's sort of become, I think, a language that people just use to get stuff done, which is cool. That's that's great. Um, and just looking around, you know, yeah, you're right. GitHub, it's not nearly as big. Yeah, Stack Overflow, it's not nearly as big. If you look at, uh, this is sort of how, how I've been looking at languages. You know, obviously there's the TOP index, which some people like and dislike depending on what it is, but it's there and it's good. Um, you look at yeah, GitHub languages. I've looked at Stack Overflow tags. Um, also looking at things like going on Freenode, like the, the IC server and having people a look on there. On, on, in yeah. There is not a lot in Groovy. You know, uh, I think you get about 20 or 30 as opposed to say 300, 600 or even 1,000 depending on what language what room you go into. Um, so there is some, you know, while I think it's a gorgeous, gorgeous language, and I think there, there is, um, there's some really interesting stuff going on, especially on the Grails platform. Um, that would worry me a little. Um, if I was looking for, so it, it, I think it would depend on the application type I was writing. If I was writing something that maybe it was more for me or more for a particular small team or something, then yeah, maybe I'd use Groovy just because that's not as much of an issue. If it was more where like uh, hireability was concerned, I'd probably end up writing Ruby. Okay. So, but because of my background, it would probably end up being JRuby on the Java platform. Yeah, I which is just happening. a different platform choice. It's still yeah. Ruby at the end of the day. But the cool thing about that, which I particularly like, is if you write JRuby, obviously you have access to the entire Ruby ecosystem, mm-hmm. assuming there's no incompatibilities. And in theory, they wouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> I say that with air quotes around it. Um, but you also have access to the entire Java ecosystem too because there's, there's interruptibility bits. I mean, the things I like about Groovy is the fact that it, it really is built to run on top of Java and extend Java so I can leverage so much of that information I already know about the JVM and the underlying libraries. Moving to something like Ruby, again, that, that becomes a concern for me as well because that's not something I know. It's not okay. something I know as well that way. Groovy, I found really easy to slip into because it's like, oh, it's the same thing. You know, it's array lists, it's hash maps, it's yeah. it's all that sort of stuff. You know, and you build extensions to that and on top of it, and you know, it's just libraries that sit on top of that and it keeps going, and and then it just becomes syntax, which admittedly is a bit different. But that's that was an easy transition. Moving to something like Ruby, I'd be like, okay, uh, what is this? Like, what 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 makes an array an array? What what functions does it have available to me? I don't know. You know how that stuff works. Yeah. Um, so that's a bigger a bigger transition, but in terms of the ecosystem, I think you can't really beat Ruby. I mean, the amount of tooling stuff out there for Ruby is just—I mean, it's just insane yeah. for deployment, for agile stuff, for testing, for you know, for all that sort of stuff. You know, even just knowing a smattering of Ruby just for those tools that you could just be like, you know, um, you look at Chef, you look at Puppet, you look at even Capistrano, which has been around for a while but hasn't been updated. You know, for deployment, all that stuff for deployment, that stuff's amazing. Um, yeah, I got some sort of um, touched by that whole Ruby infrastructure when I was um, doing my CF Objective workshop in yeah. Melbourne last year with Sandy because she's really um, quite deeply into into Ruby and Rails, and then she constructed a bunch of examples about behavior driven development and it's also oh, yeah. done in Ruby and it was actually really nice and you think like oh, you know that is actually even intuitive you know and it just yeah. works so nicely. 
there is there is definitely a reason why Ruby is. I mean, Ruby on Rails is huge. There's no doubt of that. Um, if you're writing Ruby, obviously you have. Some, there are some other frameworks out there like Sinatra, which is. Um, I'd say probably from my research anyway, probably number two to, to, to Rails, but Rails is huge in comparison. Um, but I think there is a reason why there's a lot of people who write Ruby. Um, the syntax I find a little bit wonky because you've got like end rather than brackets and stuff and that kind of freaks me out a little. Um, but otherwise, I mean, there's some really nice metadata programming constructs in there as well, which is stuff I like. Not, not I haven't seen anything quite as powerful as what I've seen in Groovy, but definitely some stuff that, that, that you could probably get to very similar places. Um, what I find interesting, actually, when I look at the um, TOB index, is yeah. that just this month, Java was kicked off position one by C oh, yeah. for the oh, first time in years, basically. And I'm, well, I'm not writing web apps in C. I'm telling you that right now. That is fair <laughs> enough, actually. I just wonder <laughs> where that is coming from. You know, C has basically a gain of like 2% and Java has lost 2%. Yes, there's a lot of legacy systems out there that write C apps. I mean, who writes C anymore? Yeah, it could be. And the biggest, so, yeah. the biggest jump upwards was actually Objective-C plus yeah, 4%. Yeah, that's not shocking. Yeah. No, it's, it's not, it's not shocking. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, I would keep thinking the, the use of Objective-C is certainly quite limited, right? I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, it's either you write Mac apps or you write... Um, iOS apps. iOS yep. apps is certainly a quite big market. I would probably say the market for Mac apps is rather limited. I mean, not small, but it's, you know, by far not oh, yeah. as huge. No, it's not as big as, as, as like iPhone and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's surprising that it ends up like on the TOB index being position four with like nearly 10% yeah. Like, is there anything else that people write with Objective-C? I know it's a language that's been around for a really long time. You mean like anything else besides Mac apps or, or yeah. Apple? I don't know. I've never seen it outside of the Apple ecosystem, to be honest. And I mean, I've never seen it for web apps, for example. It's got to be other stuff out there. But anyway, we digress. Yeah, we do. Uh, yeah. So um, we established that you would probably get into Groovy if CFML wasn't around anymore. Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I would say either Groovy or Ruby. And, okay. um Actually, um, and it's funny. What what probably puts me off Ruby is is some of the stigma attached to Ruby. I'm yeah. probably more the Rails camp, and, and I think we can't necessarily deny that. And that's 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 like one of those things where I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? I'd probably almost just go, you know what? I'm just going to go Ruby because the ecosystem is just insane, and that's just there's just so much stuff in there. As much as I really like Ruby, um, but there is that that little niggly thing that kind of bugs me a little. Um, so there, there is that. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'd still keep closure, and I think it's. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that thought. Doesn't <laughs> matter. I had a thought. I don't know where it went. Um, so yeah, it would really depend on the application. I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So what about a totally different platform? Let's say .NET. .NET. I don't see me moving to anything that's not dynamic. I don't, okay. I don't see that so. That basically is not something against .NET. Yeah, it's the way I like to develop. Okay, that's fair enough. I think I I had a, you know, I had a good thought about what about .NET in my case, basically. And I think the main arguments or the main issues I personally have with the .NET infrastructure is that to do it 
really well and to do it you know in a useful way you have to actually be on windows the whole time well there's that too well yeah and i'm not going to do that and that is something <laughs> that is it's it just so you know so frustrating and so annoying that i wouldn't want to do that then you could certainly do mono and you know and yeah. basically do the whole thing on on mac or on linux but it's not quite up to the to the level of the original you know microsoft push.net as far as i yeah. can see basically and the tooling is obviously not as nice as visual studio which is really a nice ide by the way from from my point of view but my main my main turn off is the the whole windows ecosystem thing which i can understand that yeah it's not really compelling and the other problem is there are so many people doing .net that it's you know it's jumping into a market where you have to fight against people offering their services for uh, $25 an hour and it's just like uh, no I, I don't want to do that really have you looked at python at all um yes i've done a bit of python python away or maybe a year or two back nothing really you know super complicated it was when i um was dealing with track the you know the oh, um, yeah. wiki and ticketing system mm-hmm. and i um, customized a few things in there and wrote a few f- python files to achieve certain things um in in combination with track but i have never really built a full-blown See? app or a web app or something like that in python I'll be, I'll be honest here, and it, and it may be my own experience, and if there's anyone out there, and this goes for any of the languages that we're talking about today, if there's anyone out there who wants to come on and, and talk about it, and we'd, we'd love to have you and, and dig a little deeper into these languages. Um, I, I had a good look at Python, and I'll be honest, I'm actually quite confused at its popularity. Um, there are certain like syntactical language constructs and the way it builds objects that actually I find quite confusing, um, and, and I don't really understand the intent behind why they do what they do. I mean, the documentation around Python, I think, isn't anywhere near as good, um, particularly for beginners, as you would say, fine for a lot of other languages, particularly Ruby. I mean, the, the documentation around getting up and running on Ruby is insane. There's so many resources out there. Yeah, I, but I couldn't again, find... you know, Ruby is a totally different ball game than anything else, really. Yeah, but I found that the documentation I could find around Python was very academic. It wasn't really practical in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and while it has some interesting features in it, um, they aren't necessarily as exposed in the documentation and things like that. I mean, for example, you know, obviously Groovy and Ruby, they're, they're really built around like code blocks or closures, you know, things like that. It's really intrinsic to how you do stuff. Yep. Python has all that stuff, but it's very hard to find information about it. Um, it doesn't really expose how, how you would do that, um, at least in the documentation that I found. What's, um, the, what's the history of Python? Does it come from an academic background I basically? think it does but um you know you have to quote me on that I have to go I have to go check that up um uh, yeah yeah I can't find anything off the top of my head very very quickly um I and but there's just there are so many people out there and so many interesting startups and and big like companies that have really big implementations of python um that Makes me go, okay. There's obviously something there that I think I'm missing, um, Maybe, and I just, yeah. and I, I can't see it. <laughs> I, I can't help you with that. I think we need to get you know someone on the show who actually knows Python much, much yeah. better than both of us to really provide us some good answers on yeah. that. Yeah, um, so not, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, because I looked on. at it. Yeah, go on. I looked at it and I just went, I'm not, I'm not writing this language. 
Like, there is no way you can get okay. me to write this language. So, I mean, another, you know, two more languages that are quite commonly used um, are obviously Perl and PHP. Okay, let's not do Perl. Seriously, can we not? So, okay. <laughs> I, would, I was actually going to say I'm personally, I'm not going, intending to touch PHP because I seriously dislike the language, the infrastructure, and... Yeah, I agree with that. I have certain issues with certain parts of the PHP community I would, as I well. would say... I, well, actually, I would say... I would put it differently. I would say I think there are better options out there. Ooh, you're so polite. I think... But I actually think that's genuinely true. I think, you know, if you're writing Ruby or Groovy or, or, or Scala or, you know, or, or um, Python or <laughs> just about anything else, really, <laughs> I actually think that what it has to offer is a lot better. And I think you can actually see it in that if you look at the startups that are coming up and the, the infrastructures um, that people are using, and this is something I actually keep an eye on quite a lot, um, particularly through sites like highavailability.com and whatnot, um, you're not seeing that people are building startups in PHP anymore. Yeah, It's not something that people are building. They're building them quite often actually in Python, which is why I'm so confused about it. Um, seeing Python, I'm seeing Ruby. Um, or various other, even Node.js and things like that. So I'm not seeing them come out with PHP, which leads me to go, okay, there are just better solutions out there. So why are you so against Perl? And that's my, really? last, my last question before we, before we finish for the day. <laughs> um, I think, uh, we, can, we can talk a little bit longer, but um, I think um, just Perl, I mean, just, 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 where do I even begin? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, w I would argue that probably Perl... Or you can you can debate if Perl is a good language for web applications. Fair enough. I would say again there are better options out there. Yeah. But Perl itself is an incredibly powerful language. I would agree with you on that one. I think for building web apps though, I think there are better options. Yeah, I mean the whole CDI bin stuff with Perl. That, yeah. I mean yeah, I would I would I would agree with that, basically. It's not probably not really the most straightforward thing to do, but as a language, I find yeah. it actually really nice. I haven't written Perl since I was in university and I was building my first dynamic website. Oh, that must and have it, been in the, whenever, what was it, like around the 2000? Yeah, 99, ages? maybe yeah. 2000, something like that. Yeah, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily go back. I mean, there's nothing necessarily wrong with the language, but just, you know, if I was writing, actually, even if I was writing other scripting stuff, I probably wouldn't write it in Perl because I just... That's, that's quite interesting, though. Um, there are a bunch of really big products out there, like web-based applications, yeah. which which use Perl. Like there is a um, the the publisher I write for in Germany, they have an online um, content management and editing system. Basically, um, it's called Red Dot, like a very well-known CMS, and it's written in Perl. Yeah. Well, look, it's obviously going to get the job done. There's something. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, but. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's really a a top contender, um, at least in my mind. No, fair enough. But it does show up on it. You know what? It shows up in the top ten languages on on GitHub. You know, it's there. What is it? Oh, and it's you know, it's on position ten in the TOB index, which you know might or might not mean anything for web applications, yeah. obviously, but because it doesn't, doesn't even show up on the first page of Stack Overflow. Oh, it doesn't. <laughs> Does not that even show up? Yeah, I would. I would think the Perl people probably have their own community, and they don't it's, use Stack it's Overflow quite as well. <laughs> that's quite possible as well. But it's an interesting one. I wonder how many people are on on Freenode on it. Um, 
Um, for people who don't know, I mean, if you're if you're looking for sort of real-time help on programming languages, there's an IC server called Freenode where pretty much everyone is if you're looking at programming stuff. It's actually pretty cool. Um, and I'm often on there as, as, as some form or another as Neurotic on, on Hashcore Fusion. I'm also on the Telnet one as well. But um, I normally sit in on that. I sit in on the one for IntelliJ. I sit on the one for Jenkins. Um, and it's really cool because you'll often find the authors of the product sitting in there as well. So, for example, I sit in on the one on Jenkins and the guy who writes Jenkins, whose name I cannot pronounce because it's Japanese, um, he's often in there, you know, and so it's kind of cool you get to talk to those people directly. Um, yeah, so it's it's a really cool little place to, to kind of do stuff, which is neat. Yep. Okay, so we've definitely talked through a whole bunch of options. So, and, and I think it, it very much, obviously, like it's one of those things that's, that really just does depend on what you're doing um, and, and your application, what you're comfortable with, you know, where your skills lie, where you want your skills to go in the future. Um, obviously, it becomes a bit of a factor. Yeah, I mean, there's no right and wrong here, right? And there's no, yeah. like, this is the way to do it if that hypothetical scenario came true in the first place. Yeah. Um, but I think the message that we're trying to convey is... Don't rely on one skill set. Yeah, that's. I mean, at least that's my message. You know, if, yeah. if I don't know if you have a different one, you want to no, transport. I, I, but that's that's my opinion, right? Um, and particularly, I learned that lesson. I don't want to say the hard way, but you know that whole flex thing that happened last year in in November, basically, when Adobe pretty much said we make that open source, but really behind you know between the lines, you can read. Well, we don't care really much anymore um that was sort of a wake-up call you know and that was for me personally my the trigger point where i said i need to further diversify yeah and you know not just do like you know flex and cold fusion and a bit of javascript i need to do more different things and i need to you know just look into more different options and that's you know what i'm doing as a result this year basically yeah yeah very similarly um yeah, it, it is It is really about diversifying and learning new things and kind of taking yourself to that next level and and really looking at what is what is outside there, you know. Nice and sitting in the in the CFMO bubble is obviously safe and warm and comfortable and we're all good. And the community is fantastic. I mean, I, I, I don't think you could find a better community of people anywhere else. I really don't, not from not from what I've seen. I think the CFMO is fantastic. The CMO community is, is second to none. Um, but it's... It's it's very. I think it's important to look outside the walls and say, okay, what is what is out there? Just from a personal learning perspective, also just to know what's going on. Um, you know, it's it's. I hate to say it, but to a degree, I've definitely seen it where we kind of sit around in a circle and go, hey, great, you know, CFML so great, no one understands. CFML so great, no one understands. Without actually looking outside the world and going, well, what have they got to offer that compares? Yeah. Um. And so, while it's great that we're all rah rah rah, it's it's also you know we should be like okay yeah you know what on this particular point CFML is better, but on this particular point you know what you could do it with this language and you could probably do it faster or better or cheaper or it's a better solution because of X Y and Z, um, you know and, and have like really good proper intellectual debates other than you know people tell us that development's faster on Cold Fusion. Well, is it really for your specific app? You know that's a question you should really be asking yourself. And maybe the answer is yes, maybe the answer is no, but 
it's, you know, you want some concrete knowledge to really understand that. Um, and that really only happens through exploration through other things. And, and yeah, I'm not telling you to leave CF, just, you know, look at other stuff, see what's out there. I yeah. think it's really important. What I found particularly nice as a way to force yourself to deal with new stuff is just attend a conference. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I pretty much did that for, for closure. I basically booked a ticket for closure West in, in March and then, um, you know, I had sort of that deadline of that conference date. You had by, to learn it. <laughs> by when I had to be at least up to scratch with it enough that I could yep. make use of the sessions and, you know, make sense of what people were talking about, basically. And that's yep. actually a quite nice way. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I'm, I really want to get to um, the Strange Loop conference. Um, at the end of in September, um, the, the, the people there look just fantastic. I they mean, have released people. a few new sessions, haven't they? Just the yeah. other day or so. But I mean, they've got the CTO of Mozilla there. They've got the guy that heads up analytics at Twitter. You know, <laughs> like some of the people who are there are just crazy smart, doing really interesting things. I mean, it's all bleeding edge, so it's just it should be absolutely fascinating. So I'm, I'm really quite curious to see what's going on with that. I'm, and if I end up going, I might see if I can drag you along too. Yeah, we could even do like, you know, live shows from there and record interviews with people. That'd be cool. That would be quite interesting, maybe. I'm just having a quick look at the session list of... It's starting to come together. Okay. So, who's that guy from Twitter, actually? Uh, where did I see it? Um, oh, now I've completely lost it. <laughs> Is that it? Here we go. Uh, Dimitri Ryaboy. I'm going to, yeah. Uh, leads Twitter's analytic infrastructure team. Is it on this? Ah, oh, here we go. Yeah, okay. he's coming soon. Don't know what he's actually talking about. All right. Um, but, I mean, yeah. there are a bunch of interesting ones when I just look at that now. I mean, ClojureScript, yeah, uh, David Nolan, and Rich Hickey, the database as a value. That's yeah, I mean, really Rich, interesting. Is Rich Hickey now? It says here, uh, Rich Hickey, the author of Closure. Yeah, I've seen him at Closure West actually. Yeah, um, like and, he's the author of Closure. I mean, seriously, like look. <laughs> and he's basically working on that new database concept called Datomic, which is, I mean, he presented on that at Closure West, and that looks really, really interesting. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. So like stuff like that can just be so so interesting and mind opening. You know, you can start saying, okay, you know. There's there's some really interesting stuff out there that can really enhance and, and let and expand upon what you already know. So yeah. that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, we should you know before you book we should have another chat. Um, if I come along, maybe. Yeah, yeah, because if I'd like to go, if I go with some some like-minded individuals, it'd be good fun. But anyway, um, I think we should wrap up shortly. So before we go, uh, make sure that people are aware. See if objective, ANZ is back on again this year. Um, I have to look up the dates because I can't remember them. The I November, think it's the November 1st and 2nd, doesn't it? Yes, it is. And we'll be doing pre conference workshops on the 31st, so the day before, as per usual. Um, so if you keep an eye on that site or sign up for the, follow us on Twitter on CFobjective underscore ANZ on Twitter um, to keep you up to date with news and interesting bits and pieces of what's going on there. So there is that. So don't forget that that is on. Uh, we're in the same place. We're going to be doing uh, two Cold Fusion tracks this year. Um, so it's just back to our roots with just pure Cold Fusion content. But obviously, we're looking for stuff on JavaScript and all sorts of other interesting technologies. So if you have something that you're working on that's interesting, when we do a call for presentations. Pretty uh, soon, actually. 
That's which should be pretty soon. In the make already. Yeah. Good, because you should be writing that. <laughs> and um, yeah, once that's out, yeah, feel free to throw all that stuff at us, and we'd love to. We'd love to hear from everyone who listens. Um, and we can also announce our next podcast. Yeah, we can, and that's going to be a quite interesting one, actually. Um, we're having a guest. Yes. Go on, tell us who our guest is. Um, it's John Caulfield. Fair to elaborate. Oh, sorry. I I just thought you know like. Throwing in the name would tell everyone who he is. So, so what are we talking about at least? Okay, we're talking about um, closure and functional programming. Yep. Um, and that's the start of a series of, you know, or a loose series of um, episodes on other languages, you know, the stuff we basically talked about today. And yep. we'll try to find experts in certain platforms who might or might not have also a tie into the Confusion and CFML community and discuss a few things with them, basically. And yeah. um, for the people who really, really, really don't know Shaw Caulfield, which, you know, it would surprise me if someone is around listening to this podcast who doesn't know his name. Yep. Um, he's, I don't know, a long, long, long way back long. member of the Confusion <laughs> community and the CFML community. He's also the CTO of Rylo Consulting in the US. And his full-time job is developing... Um, online dating apps with um, confusion and closure. <laughs> yeah, so he does some pretty neat stuff. It's really, good. it's going to be a really good conversation, so you should definitely uh, dial in for that one. Yep. Okay, so now that we've probably made everyone think way too much for whenever they're listening to this, uh, where can people reach you if they want to reach you? Um, Twitter, Agent K, or email Kai at ventigo-creative-coenz. Great. Uh, people want to reach me. Twitter at uh, Neurotic. Uh, blog posts, blogs at compoundtheory.com. And you can follow the podcast on 2DDU Podcast on Twitter. Um, if you have any questions about anything we've talked about today, please write a comment in the show no uh, on the on the blog post. Also, if you if anyone wants to come on board and talk about any of the languages we've talked about, or even any languages we haven't talked about. Um, please drop us a comment or send us an email or, or send us an ad on Twitter. Um, we'd love to hear from you and have you on, on the show. Yep. Cool. Thanks a lot for your time today, Mark. And That's now right. you finally can walk the dog. Yes. Cool. Cool. All right. <laughs> See ya. I'll speak to you later.